good word. Amen. If you would turn in your Bible to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. I know I'm asking you to turn your Bible or your electronic device, and it should be projected up there pretty soon, so you have lots of options to see the Word. There's so many things that are happening in the world right now, and these are some of the most uh, challenging moments uh, for our nation uh, of, of any that I can recall during my, my lifetime. And I, I felt very strongly that we should be considering some of the factors as intercessors that the Scripture refers to uh, when, it, when it speaks about things regarding our day. And Daniel spoke a lot about the day that we're living in and the days that are going to be uh, unfolding. And so Daniel shared a lot of things in common with us, where we are believing for something that God is going to do that has not yet happened. And that seemed to be the format from which Daniel prayed daily. And God used that. God used that mightily through him. And, of course, we do know the apocalyptic eschatological uh, statements that are made in the book of Daniel, and many of the things that God spoke about the times of the end, um, God told him to seal those words and preserve them till the time of the end. And I, I imagine that it makes sense for us, if we are believing that those things are truly coming, for us to recognize how was this man praying, how was this mighty man praying, um, during the anticipation of those things that were being written. And I do believe that the Scripture very clearly speaks. So we're going to talk about Daniel, and we're going to talk about a couple of factors that Daniel references as they play out in the Scripture. So let's read Daniel chapter 9, beginning at verse 17. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications. And cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies, O Lord. Hear, O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do, defer not. For thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Uh, I want to just mention a couple of things here concerning what Daniel was saying. And he, he was utilizing three different terms that are names of God. He was speaking about Elohim, which is that heart of God. He was speaking about Yahweh, which is the plan of God, and he also speaks several times, even once in a double issuance, about Adonai. So basically what he was saying is that God has a place for everyone. He has a place for his plan to be manifested, and he wants to commune with his people. 
And that is something that we need to, to recognize. Um, then Daniel says, and I love this King James, whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. Look at this progression. He says, first of all, he was speaking, Debar, which meant that he was recounting the things that he knew God had spoken and how he was supposed to be functioning. Because the Dabar is, is really a, a structured uh, enunciation of what is believed and what, what is supposed to be the pathway of behavior and service. So he begins by saying that. And then he says, I was praying, Palal. And we've studied at length about what Palal meant in conjunction with supplication. And it is, is as you're partnering with God in supplication, you sense what his spirit is communicating. Uh, the Bible speaks about how we need to interpret when we're praying in the spirit. And there are a number of other passages that speak about that. It's not a one-way street. When we are partnering with God, God wants to share with us. It's commune. And, and so those things that you know God is, is impressing upon your heart through your prayer, you then gather those and you begin to proclaim them. You begin to believe for them. So it's not you just deciding what you want or what the political commentators say or you know what the latest preacher says. You're, you're sensing on the basis of your walking with God, partnering with him, what he has said in his word, what you know he has led you to be and to do, and God begins to share with you, and that forms the basis of how you pray. That's what palal means. And then it says that he was confessing, yada, his sin and the sins of the people. What does that mean? Now, we understand confessing our sin, but to confess the, the sins of the people is really kind of a, of, a, of a perspective that I think we need to get a handle on today, because there's a whole lot of sins moving around in this nation. There are a whole lot of things that we as Americans are, are as a nation, are doing that in some ways don't make much sense, in other very clear ways are aberrations of what should be happening. And in, in the New Testament, sin is hamartia, which means to miss the mark. In the Old Testament, the word translated as sin, this, this word, is, is really very similar in intent. It means to be below the line of expectation or to ignore the line altogether. And very often, most often, sin is connected with two descriptives in the Old Testament. One is that, that word for iniquity, awan, which, again, we've joked about in the past. You know, I don't even know if they still sell Avon, but when I was a kid, we had a lot of the salesman for Avon, and it was makeup and and cologne and perfume and and the the whole idea of that. That's the word for iniquity in the Old Testament, to where you cover up something, you cover up some some 
perceived deformity or some perceived shortcoming. But iniquity really is that. It's, it's that you're, you're, you're twisted. And sin is connected with that word regularly. So people live below the mark. They live below the expectation. And so then they try all the ways that they can to make it look like they are meeting the expectation. Or they redefine the line of expectation. So they can say, well, you know, this is what we've always believed, but really we don't like that. And then they try to make up reasons for why that line of expectation really was wrong. And then they create a new line. And it's, it's sin is sin. And the Old Testament connotation of sin is really being below the mark. And it is connected with avon, which is iniquity, but it's also connected with when the sin is forgiven. And this is the word NASA, ably put for the National Aeronautic Space Administration, to lift up. So when when sin is forgiven and you're lifted up, you're brought back up to the mark of what God has called you to be. So those two reactions to sin in the Old Testament, either to try to cover up the line with iniquity, uh, which is twisted purpose, or <clears throat> you receive forgiveness and you're lifted back up to the line. So <clears throat> understanding that that is the measure of sin, there are several passages that in the Old Testament, some of them are very well known. Like, for instance, the first real depiction of this. I know Adam sinned in, in the garden, but in Genesis 4, verse 7, when God was speaking to Cain, who had just killed his brother Abel, the scripture says, God says to him, if you do well, if you're functioning according to what I'm expecting of you, you'll be accepted. But if you don't do well, sin lies at the door, and unto thee will be his desire, and you shall rule over him. And that, that issue of crouching, sin crouching at, at the place where you should have blessing, because that's what doors represent. They represent commune and blessing. And, and so that's the way God works. You walk in harmony with him. You do what he asks you to do. There are opportunities then that are commensurate with that of blessing, and so God was saying to Cain, if you just do what I ask you to do, you will be accepted. You'll be walking in blessing. But if you don't do what I'm asking you to do, you're below that line, and sin is crouching down there below the line. And you're going to just then be communing with sin. You're going to be commanding sin, and sin is going to be serving you, but it's going to be crouching. It's going to be below the line. And I know the concept of crouching is for an attack, but usually the way sin is, isn't this true in life? Usually if people are sinning, there are wages to that. Now, the wages, there are wages of sin. It's death eventually. But they don't really, really recognize too often that sin is really damning them. They're, they're working with sin. They're, they're serving sin, and sin is ingratiating them. And, and I just think it's interesting that sin is a line where it's below the line of expectation, God's expectation. And here with Cain, God said that sin is crouching down there. It's, and, and the position of it is below what God expects. In fact, the first 
first real usages of sin throughout the people uh, themselves was, was really about um, community expectation, just in, in the people themselves. I'm not just speaking, I, I love the word, but just in the usage of the word with the people themselves. It was, you know, I expected this from you, and you sure fell short of that. And that was the understanding of sin and it, within the community. So I think we understand that. Uh, sometimes people just, I love Jeremiah 17, verse 1. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond. It is graven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of your altars. That's the way sin is now in our nation. Things they're graven with a with a diamond-pointed pen on the tablet of the heart, the, the steering wheel. And and there's a there's a grappling today in our nation, rewriting rules, rewriting definitions, rewriting what should be, and sin is really below that. See, we often think of sin as we should as Christians. It's something that can keep you separated from God. It is missing the mark. But in a general sense across the nation, for people who, who don't perhaps know God, that, and when we look at them with sin, it's one thing to point the finger and say, you're all sinners. But what does that really mean? It means that as we as Daniel-type intercessors look out over our nation and we see things that should be this way, not just because we think them, but they should be this way. And there's a whole lot of that kind of thing going on in our nation and we see they're, they're making the line lower. Their calibrations are off. And it, it, when calibrations are off, that can be dangerous in anything you do. You're flying a plane. Your calibrations are off. There's going to be a whole lot of dead people. You're a surgeon. Your calibrations are off, and it's not going to turn out well for you. You're doing math or you're doing finance. Your calibrations are off, and when the deductions are all done, you may be very disappointed. In fact, you may be heartbroken. So wrong calibrations can damn people. And, and so that's the whole, that's the basic idea of sin. And, and so when Daniel says, you know, I'm here I'm communing with God based upon what I know I should be doing, what my responsibilities are, what his word says, what, what he has asked me to be in this time of Babylonian captivity. And I'm believing, I'm partnering with God and his angels for the return of the people. But, but So I'm talking to God about that, and I'm speaking the things that he's putting upon my heart, and I'm praying those things. And you can't separate those first two because you can't, you can't say, okay, I believe in the Word and I believe what God says, but then have a feeling that's different from that and go ahead and pray that. The, the pathway that God establishes based on His Word and what He's called you to be and do is really sacrosanct. It is something that we have to hold on to. We can't let anybody take it away. It doesn't mean we're stuck in tradition. It doesn't mean that we, we're just set in our ways. We're set in his ways. And, and so then that's the framework wherein God begins to share his heart with us. And, and then we proclaim those things, and we, we confess that, yada, we're 
we're talking with him back and forth. It's not like we're talking to God and telling him everything. It, Yada speaks about a, a, really a conversation, and there's a lot of that. And what was Daniel talking about in this framework? His own sin and the sin of the people. I think we, we need to, we, I think we really need to see that. And then he continues by saying, and I'm presenting my supplication, which is partnership prayer, with the Lord, my God, for his holy mountain. It's very interesting. Um, how do we pray concerning the sins of the nation? And, and what effect does that have? We certainly don't have the power to forgive sins. Only God has that power. So what, what do we pray in regard to the sins of the nation? What do we pray this week regarding things that we see as our heart grieves when we look with every passing hour at the horrific events that are going on in Afghanistan? What do we pray for those tens of thousands of Christians who became born again during the 20 years of occupation? And in Afghanistan, if you leave that Sharia system and you become born again, you're a dead person. What do, we, what do we pray for those people? What do we pray during these next few days leading up to the August 31st deadline when there are groups like the, the Nazarene Fund that Glenn Beck is, is, is uh, administrating from, from there, when they're trying to get Christians out to other nations, many of them Muslim nations that have opened their hearts to welcome these refugees because they want to save them from a dead, death sentence. What do we pray for our young men and women that are there in harm's way at that airport? What do we pray for them? You know, I was speaking with Beth uh, earlier and just telling her how much we've been praying for her sons, which are really sons of this house, and thank God neither one of them are there in Afghanistan. But uh, what if it were our sons, the sons of the nation, the daughters of the nation? My heart grieved when I was listening to parents who lost a child during that bomb blast, and they were telling those wrenching hours waiting to hear uh, whether it was their boy or their girl who, um, who, who had died. What do we pray? How do we pray? Well, we think, oh, you know, I love America, but how in the world could we make this decision? How could we do it this way? And there are lots of ways that we're processing things as we grieve over what's going on. And then I, I'm praying, God, you know, we've got ministries all over the world in this Saints Network, and we're soon as soon as we're able, we're going to be going. And what does this new caliphate there, what does that portend for what's coming in regard to terrorist activities? You know, we've been blessed these past few years. I remember when we were in Brussels for a uh, for a seminar that we were conducting, and the whole city was shut down because that horrible, some of those, some of those horrible uh, blasts and 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 um, many people killed by 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 uh, terrorist attack with with machine guns. And I remember being in that environment, and I I'm also since that time been grateful to be traveling. And you know, you trust the Lord, but you thank God that there aren't those hot 
those caustic environments. How do you pray? These are sins. It's not only below the mark, it's so far below the mark that you can't even see where the mark of sin is. How do you pray for that? What is our authority with that? Because we really do need to be praying. And it's not saying, oh, God, get a hold of this person in the administration. Get a hold of this general. You know, get a hold of these people that are making these wrongful decisions. You know, we can ask the Spirit to, to, uh, we can ask the Spirit to, to wake people up and to, to give them wisdom. But that's a different, to me, that's a different thing than praying for the sins. There, there really are two different things. If, if, if the Lord lays a leader on your heart, and we should be praying for those in authority. We've studied that from, from uh, the epistles to Timothy. And, and we should be speaking things that the Lord asks, puts on our heart for them to have wisdom and for them to come above the, the things that pressures would be trying to influence them to do. But sin is a, is a different thing. Yes, they do dance in the same dance floor. But as, as an intercessor, when we're speaking about places where we've missed the mark, where we have come short of the glory of God, uh, when, how do we do that for the nation? Well, there's two passages that are in the New Testament that I think we should look at. And maybe consider them in a way we've not considered them. One is John 20. This is the words of our Lord, verses 21 through 23, this rather odd scenario after he rose again. And he's, he's meeting there with some of the disciples. And Jesus said to them, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, and that's apostello, so I am sending you. Pempo, two different words. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Ghost. And then he says this, Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. It's one of the most unusual things in the Scripture. And it's very often not thought of because it is so different but yet these are the words of the Lord. This is one of the first things he said to these guys after he rose. Thomas wasn't there yet. You can read the rest of it. But um, what does this mean? Now, now, certainly, he breathed on them. You know, the only time this term for breathe was used in the Septuagint was when God breathed life into Adam. So this was... In, in the context of the day, this was them coming alive and being born into something that they had not known. And so it wasn't the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That was coming in Pentecost. They, remember, they were supposed to go after he ascended and be in the upper room and pray for the, for the, for the promise of the Father, and then the Holy Ghost came, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. So, so this wasn't a scenario where he breathed on them and they started speaking in tongues. The Bible doesn't say this. It says that they received really a commission, and it was linked with what he says then. Whoever sin you remit, they're remitted, and whose sins you retain, they're retained. What does that mean? How do you, what does remit sins mean? It's not 
forgiveness. You know, the Catholics have taken this, and forgive me for all of you Catholic folks, I'm not trying to say I'm uh, more uh, skilled in understanding your doctrines, but it's not like a priest where, for instance, Rose could come. Of course, Rose doesn't sin that often, but we'll just use you because you're, you're the least of all sinners. Uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. She could come to me, and I'll say, bless you, Rose. Your sins are forgiven. Say three Hail Nancys, and you're, you're okay. Um, that's not what Jesus was saying here. Um, sins being remitted is afieme, which means to send away and to drive off. And, and to retain both in both instances is from the Greek power word kratos, which is the power of the throne. That's, it's the most powerful strength in the New Testament, the most powerful um, Greek word in the New Testament out of the, out of the several that are listed. So look at what Jesus is saying. And this all matters for what we're saying because he's talking about sin here. He's talking about missing the mark, hamartia. Why would he be saying this to them prior to his ascension, prior to Pentecost, which was the birth of the church? Well, very clearly, this was something that he was imparting to those, those individuals, his followers, for what they were supposed to be functioning in then. He breathed on them for a measure of impartation and quickening and awakening because, you know, they, they were going to be his representatives leading into Pentecost. And then he's talking about this business of sin. It's not, this is not soteria. This is not forgiving anyone of, their, of, their, of an eternal blight. This is driving something away or saying, all right, I'm taking authority in, according to the throne of missing the mark. There was a whole lot of missing the marks going on during that time when Jesus rose from the dead. You know, you had the Sanhedrin, you had the Pharisees, you had the Essenes, you had lots of other viewpoints. You had the Roman law, you had the church, many of them that were scattered in mourning. Uh, they, it, was, it was a crazy time, and the bar of what God was expecting was, was really prophesied, and it was there, but the words of Jesus over and over to these people was, don't you remember what I told you? Don't you remember that I said this? Don't you remember that I prophesied this? Don't you see Thomas, oh, I, you know, he, just the next verses. Well, unless, you know, I heard you said Jesus was there, but unless I see him and plunge my hand into the piercings, you know, and Jesus comes and says, here I am. So there was a lot of people that were forgetting the bar that God had established and this new place that Jesus had made available uh, uh, amazingly, wonderfully, the miracle of all miracles. So he's saying to these guys, I'm breathing on you. And I'm, I'm awakening something in you because of my victory over death, hell, and the grave. And I'm speaking to you about this system-wide Missing of the mark. And I'm giving you the authority of the throne to agree upon things. And I'm also giving you the authority of the throne to, to drive sin away. And it's all about this line. It's not about any individual being 
born again for eternity. It's, it's a very interesting concept, but I, but I really do think that we are in a moment as, as we are like lights in this darkening world where God is wanting us to say His Spirit is, is asking His church to step into a new level of service. And we, we need to recognize that, you know, I, I don't know about you, but many things that I, as an American and as a Christian, that I know and we've relied upon throughout my 60-plus years of, of life seem to be gone. There are so many new lines written with a pen of diamonds on the tables of the hearts of this nation. And there are some things that, that as we pray, as Daniel did, you think, God, I'm representing you. Let, but while I say, before I say anything more, let's look at 1 Peter 2, verse 9, and see what Peter says about this under the anointing of the Spirit. You are a chosen generation, eclectos. You are called out. The, the eclectos is, is the ecclesia that really is taking responsibility. You are a royal priesthood. This is interesting. Royal is, is basileo, which is the word for kingdom, and a priesthood. Do you realize that that is saying that we are to be a people who are representing the kingdom as priests, representing the kingdom. It's not just a designation, you know, that we put on our bumper sticker, royal priesthood, you know, little flags waving, here we come. But we are to be a mediator between God and where we are called to serve for the kingdom. This is what God says over and over again as we pray. It doesn't mean that we're ruling over anybody. It means that we're representing the kingdom. And we should be saying, as a priest would, how can your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And what do we do about this lowering of the mark? What do we do about this sin? How do we represent the kingdom for this? How do we drive some away that doesn't really matter? And how do we lay claim to things that are from the throne? How do we do this? But then, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a saintly nation, a peculiar people. Now, I have to say this. You know, we've joked about that peculiar people. And, you know, there, there, are, two, there are two common thoughts about peculiar people. Um, the first is that it's some intricate creation, some artistic thing that's very fragile. I used to hear that, and, and I would also hear that very same thing. It's a totally different word about the woman being the weaker vessel, and we've talked about what that really means. But I don't think this is some fragile thing. Neither is it an excuse for people to just be weirdos. You know, sometimes when I travel... Uh, when we travel around the, 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 into other nations, we encounter some people that are just kind of some of God's odd friends. And when they do weird things, they say, well, I'm a peculiar person. Of course, they say it in, in French or whatever language they're in, which makes it sound more romantic. But uh, this is not what peculiar means. It doesn't mean that you're an oddball. It really means this. 
that you are there for a chosen place, a chosen time, and a chosen purpose. And you're peculiar in that regard. You're, you're different. You stand out. Do you ever be in a time of crisis where people are running like chickens with their heads cut off, and they're just scrambling everywhere, and there's somebody there who is just sane? <laughs> they're peculiar. I mean, you know, the Delta variant seems to be really popular right now. And it's, it's, it's mobilized the peculiar people to go and clear out toilet paper again from all the store shelves. There was, a, there was something on the news about that. And I think Governor Abbott even said, don't go and buy a bunch of toilet paper. Peculiar people. And you see them. I mean, I remember when we were first dealing with COVID and um, our county judge was getting up every night giving, you know, the latest list of uh, sequesterings and rules and regulations, big techs at Dallas, you know. And uh, you'd go into the grocery store and it was like you you had entered into a, a sanitarium. People just running around looking like this, you know. And, and they're all afraid, you know, stay away, stay away, you know. And what, so there was an old man, I've told about this, I was down at Tom Thumb, and um, it was like 6.30 in the morning, which is when I really like, that's when I get out and about. And this old guy was there, he was old. Now I'm 63, so if I'm saying you're old, you're probably old. When I remember when I was a kid, I thought somebody my age was ancient. So, and the jury's still out on that one. But this old guy, he saw me, and it was like he, he was seeing Sasquatch, you know. And he was on his way out from the cabin up in the, some high mountain. He was just petrified that he was seeing me. And I thought, who's the sane one in this environment? Who's the one? And this could be any of you, a person that knows how to trust God and to stand when everybody else around you is going haywire, is peculiar. And the reason you can be that way is you recognize that God is with you. You are a person of purpose. You are ordained for this time to serve the Lord. And that that really is a rarity. It's not just word speak. That's a rarity. So we are this peculiar people to show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But we're a royal priesthood. And priests mediated between God and man and women, but they also dealt a lot with sin, with sacrifices for sin. And, and so you have Daniel confessing the sins of himself, which is always a good thing to get, don't, you know, don't cast the a stone at other lines if, if your own lines are out of whack. <laughs> Daniel is praying for his own sins and for the sins of the people. You have Jesus speaking about remitting sins and retaining them. And then you have, um, you have Peter talking about us being a, a, a priesthood of the kingdom. So what all does that mean for us in real time? Well, it means this. Number one, we all need to be watching over the things that we know we should be doing because to him that knows to do good and doesn't not to him, it is what? 
sin. If you know to do good and you're not doing it, you're living below the mark. You're living below what you know you're supposed to be doing. And so the antidote is we know what we're supposed to do, and we do it. So we got to make sure that that's happening in our own lives. Are we praying every day? Are we spending time? Are we doing what Daniel did, where we dabar, where we remember our sense of purpose? We remember what God says in his word. We remember what we're called to be as a peculiar people, as a royal priesthood, as those that God has breathed upon for this time. Do we remember that, and does it make any difference in our lives? Do we trust in that? that we are not our own and we're not out, you know, like a leaf in the wind. We do what we're supposed to do, but yet we trust God. I think it's very interesting that um, the Scripture talks about the fact that when God forgives, and this is in Daniel 9 when he was speaking about hear, O Lord, and forgive, that that term in the Aramaic cultures... um, that same word meant to pour something out or to sprinkle it. I think that's very interesting. There's, there's a point of humility where you say, God, I've, I've not been doing what I'm supposed to do. I, I've not been doing all that you've asked for me to do. I, I've, I've gotten tired. I've grown weary. I you know, I, I wondered whether it really makes any difference, so I've just kind of taken myself out of the game for a while. And when you, when you ask God to forgive, it's, it's you really pouring yourself out before him in humility. And perhaps even it's you pouring yourself out as an offering before him so that he can look at who you are and see every facet of you. I don't know if you've ever poured something out before. I have. I've been around the twins when they poured things out. And um, it's, it's, it's funny the different reactions of the people in my house to when that happens. But the, the point, though, is for all of us that when something's poured out, you see it all, don't you? <laughs> I mean, it's there. What, what, what seemed to be that little amount in that cup is now everywhere, and you can see it. And so when you're when you are missing the mark and when you're below the standard of the Lord and you ask God to forgive it's really a a a, a thing where you are before him and you're acknowledging all the things that need to be brought back up to speed. And I wonder if that's not part of what we as Christians should do not according to the conspiracy pages, not according to the pundits on whatever news channel you listen to, not according to what the latest thing is from the latest preacher, but when God speaks to you from your position in his word, as you pray, and, and, and the Spirit brings something before you about your own life, you, you pour yourself out before him, and you say, Lord, forgive me. It's, it's all here. I want to I do right before you. But with the nation, the sins of the people, you have to come in humility. 
You, ha you have to come representing the kingdom. And I, I have to be honest with you. I've, in order to do that, I have to, I have to take my American passport and lay it off to the side. I even have to take my political leanings and lay that off to the side. Because if, if you don't know this by now, there's such an attack of division in our country and heated that if, if you don't humble yourself and come just with the, the linen, the sha'al of your relationship with the Lord, you're probably not going to be much use when it deal, comes to the sins of the nation. Because the, the lenses of your life are going to have fingerprints all over it from all the things you've heard and all the things you are angry about. And there's a lot of them that could get you riled up. You've got to be cleansed. And you've got to come before the Lord. And there are things that the Spirit will speak to you about. You know, I've, I've been... For instance, this is big, and we need to be praying before August 31st because there's a lot of things, dangerous things that could be happening in Afghanistan. We don't want to see our young men and women murdered or killed, do we? We don't want to see people being blown to bits by suicide bombers. Uh, you know, there, there's just a lot of ways that the Spirit can be leading us as to how to pray regarding August 31st, that deadline where all of our troops are supposed to be out. We, we need to be praying for, <laughs> I, 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 again, you have to be really careful. You have to be really careful. But I think just, just looking at it, knowing what we've tried to do to destroy terrorist enclaves around the world, when I look at what's going to happen in Afghanistan, my first thought is, well, we've just handed them a terrorist enclave. How many years is it going to be before we're watching everything we do when we travel in Europe because we don't know what's going to happen? And I, I look at that as an American, and then I have to lay this aside because I can get angry about it because I think there's probably something other that we could have done and accomplished the same objective that we all say we want to accomplish. And then I look and I see, well, our allies, you have the British Parliament getting up saying, we're not going to partner with America again. That's, that's, that's damning. That, that cuts me to the core. And it should you, too. And, and, but, but then again, we can't get angry. We have to look. Okay, we as America, this bright and shining light on the hill, somehow regardless of our intentions, regardless of our political feelings, we're somehow missing the mark. And that's the sins of the people. There's a whole lot of them. But two days from now, we've got an imposed deadline, and I think the Lord is wanting us to pray. He's wanting us to pray, God, preserve our military. Preserve those people over there that that are, are going to have a death sentence if they can't get out. Preserve our partnership with those, that, uh, those nations that are our, our allies. Preserve that. And keep us from the nefarious 
um, influences in the world that would want to destroy the freedoms that we have and to destroy this country. And there are a lot of them too. We are going to trust the Lord, but this business of sin, which Daniel's praying. How is Daniel praying for the sins of the people? I mean, you think about this. They're already in captivity. He's looking at how they got there, how they failed God, and how God finally said, okay, enough. I've warned you. I've sent prophets. I have have tried every way I can. The only thing that's left now is for you to be carried away, and we're going to start over. So Daniel is in that process. How is he praying for the sins of the people? Do you ever think about that? He was probably praying, God, there's a guy named Zerubbabel, there's a guy named Joshua, there's, there's, there's going to be a guy named Nehemiah and Ezra and Haggai, and there are going to be people that are going to go, and, and when they get there, they're going to need favor, that your standard for that city, you notice what Daniel says, your face is looking on this, your city, your holy mountain, not mine, yours. And, and it's desolate right now. How do we restore what your plan is? How do we ask, even though we don't know how you're going to do this, how, how do I pray? It's, it's important that you pray for that. You know, Daniel could have just shut off. He could have. You know, I'm respected by the king. I've already shown my stripes. You know, I've humbled the Chaldeans and the, and the other magicians of the, the land. I'm regarded here. You know, I'm pretty much set. I'm getting older. I'm not going back to Jerusalem. You know, they can fend for themselves. He could have done that. You know, we, we, could, we could punt on third down right now. You know, uh, so many people I've heard over the years, no, nobody in this house, well, I've served my time. Now I suppose it's time for somebody else to do what they're supposed to do. I used to hear people say that, and I'd think, so, so when can we plan for your funeral? You know, if you're already thinking that, why don't you just tell me? We can, Wednesday, how's Wednesday? Is that fine? Um, but, you know, Daniel's praying. And why was it important for him to pray since God's going to do it all his way anyway? He's already said 70 years. Why was, Dan, why was it important for Daniel to be praying for the sins of the nation? when God had already said what was going to happen. See, that's another thing that Christians say. Well, it's all written in God's book. It's all going to happen the way it's going to happen. So I'm just going to pay my tithe, sit in the pew, pass out a tract now and then, and wait for the trumpet to blow. I'm just going to wait. because. And then you hear people who, who facilitate that. Well, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's done all he's going to do. They misinterpret what that means. And so we're just waiting, and we're, he's waiting, and we're waiting. And one day the Father's going to look over and say, Son, bring my people home. Did you ever hear that kind of stuff? Oh, I did lots of times in sermons. Daniel could have blown it off because there really, in the natural, wasn't anything in it for him. You know, people were trying to kill him for what he was doing, tossing him in lion's dens, and, and you know, who, who knows what all else happened because 
these few chapters of, of the written word don't detail all that he encountered. I'm sure there was a lot of other nasty things that came against him. It would have been a whole lot easier for him to just tuck his head in the sand and say, thank you for your blessing, God. You're going to do what you're going to do. We're just going to wait it out. And what good would it do for him to pray for the sins of the nation? You know, could he say, when they go back, let them get it right this time? Or send the right people back so that as they go, as Ezra goes, and it's really admirable what Ezra said when he had that group and he was there by the river and he said, you know what, we need to fast and pray here because we are the people of God and I'm sure not going to go ask the king to send a bevy of soldiers with us to protect us on the way. That took some guts, didn't it? I'm sure that there was probably a part of Ezra's head that thought, you know what, the king has commissioned us. He sees us have all these treasures. Maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea for at least a, a, a cavalry brigade to go with us. I wonder if that wasn't part of what Daniel was praying for. The spirit, and this wasn't, he, was, he didn't have the gift of tongues yet, so he couldn't just pray in mysteries and know that God was sorting it all out. This was a yada before God. They were conversing. And God wants you to have that kind of impartation to serve God in these days as a peculiar individual, a holy, a holy uh, priesthood, as people that are are functioning on behalf of the kratos power of the throne to where you can retain certain things. I didn't mean to say all this, but this, this makes sense, and I want to say this before we come to communion. That difference of remitting sins and retaining sins, what does that mean? Again, that's not judging somebody or saying, okay, you're going to heaven and you're going to hell. That's, that's not that kind of thing. It was about the missing of the mark in that crucial time leading up to the birth of the church. There were certain things that were happening at that time where, you know, Jesus even prayed, Father, forgive these guys on either side of me. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And there were a lot of people that were around Jerusalem at that time that were sincere people. They were missing the mark. But there were sincere people, and I'm sure that as the, the disciples were praying, there were thousands gathering for this Feast of Pentecost. They were all coming from various places around the, the, the Judaistic world. And there were people that were coming that were missing the mark that were innocent. I'm just offering something here. And for him, those, those separations... They had an authority from God to say, Lord, don't hold that against them. Let that be driven away. Let that sin be driven away so that they can find you. Now, the difficult time is for the types of sins that need to be retained by the power of the throne. And there were some during that time who were holding on to some measure of sin that was really demonic and diabolical. They had just crucified the Lord of glory. They thought they'd gotten rid of them. They were making their plans to galvanize what they thought should happen. And I think 
we'll face some of that. People that are just bound and determined to serve the conditions of hell. And it's not like you're damning them or condemning them, but you're saying before the Father, all right, Father, I, I see that this course of action, they have dug their heels in so much that your throne is saying, all right, they have chosen what they're going to do. You know, the Bible says that about the end time, that people that want to serve the enemy, God is going to give them over to that. He's going to allow them to reap the rewards of what they're saying. There are seducing spirits that God is going to allow, and there are many of them already moving. Now, those types of scriptures are hard to read, but they're nevertheless the scripture. And we've got to know the difference between that as we are a priest. Priest dealt with all kinds of people. Some of them were pretty gnarly individuals, the people the priest had to deal with. Some were very sincere, but the priest had to deal with all of them. <laughs> we don't have the latitude as intercessors to just say, well, I'm only going to pray for the good people. I'm only going to pray for these good things. So, you know, this, this Nazarene fund that is chartering planes to get Christians out of there that, are, that have a death sentence on them. I'm only going to pray for that. I think the Lord is, is really saying to us, he's taking us into a, a, he's breathing on us afresh for how we're to be praying, representing him and representing the kingdom regarding this issue of what God is requiring and how that measure of sin, missing that mark, or coming short of what God said purposely, maybe that's the two factors. Some people miss the mark because they don't recognize that they're missing the mark. Some people miss the mark, and they're happy to be doing it because they're etching in their own mark. They're saying, oh, that was never God's mark all along. And anybody who says it is, is just an old so-and-so. You can fill in I-S-T after any number of words. But how do we represent God? We talk to him about this. We, we, we yada about how we're allowing ourselves to be influenced. I want to represent God to the best of my ability every day. I don't want to do it in my own strength. I don't want to do it in my own mind. I want to do it in his ways. And only God can lead us. But we need to recognize that these are factors in Scripture. Now, we have the benefit of praying in the Spirit. And that's a great benefit. That was coming on the day of Pentecost. We need to, we need to make sure that we're doing that every day as well. But you are a royal priesthood. You are as Daniel uh, but, but yet you're born again, thank God. And we need to, we need to believe for, um, for the Spirit to use us. So as we are preparing our hearts to come to share in communion, I, I want us to really recognize over these next couple of days that these are pivotal days for our country they're pivotal days for the world. What is done in these next few days in many ways is going to determine 
what we're all going to reap in the next many years. I mean, it's just the truth. I'm telling you. You know, Jesus warned about the end times. He said, you know, during the end times, there are going to be people that are eating and drinking and giving in marriage, and they're just going to act like everything's just floating along as normal. But they don't realize that there's, there's a Noah contingent that is preparing. I don't want to be those that ignore what, what God is asking us to do. So we need to be praying for America. And we need to be praying, asking God to forgive us for the lines that I believe we've perhaps forged. That wasn't what God really wanted is the best. That's what sin is. And we've done that. I think we can look at our nation and say, yeah, we've done that. And we need to talk to God about it and ask him to intervene. Some of the lines God can can adjust. Some of them are hard and fast, and God help us. But we need to recognize that as intercessors, we're in a new time frame, but it's an old time frame. These things are what the Scripture says. They're just being mobilized in a, in, a, in a time for this time frame for us. So as we come before the Lord for communion, um, I'm, I'm asking that the Lord will cause us to recognize our place in his body, what we're called to be as the body of the anointed sons, and that, that God would also touch those Christians around the world that are at risk right now, very much at risk. And um, I, I just can't, I, I, I could talk about things. You've heard them too. You know, we have our sweet granddaughters. They're, they're just almost 10. And I can't imagine that people across Afghanistan, homes where girls are 12 years old, are now being identified to be married to these jihadists. And that, that's going on right now. We need to pray. God's heart is broken by these terrible things. And it doesn't mean that we're dour and despairing. There's a rejoicing because we're serving the Lord, but we are representing God. And we need to pray that we will be what we're to be as the body, and we need to pray for the body of Christ those believers that we've not met that are really suffering right now, that are dealing with uncommon amounts of persecution. We need, to, we need to pray. And there's a fine line to be able to do that and yet count it all joy. But we can do it. The blood of Jesus quickening us through the sprinkling to be what we're supposed to be in these days. And I pray that as we come, and as you partake, and then please find a place to pray. We've given a lot of meat today. Um, consider these verses and think about what they mean. But let's, let's come to, to yield ourselves before the Lord and to thank him, but to be commissioned for what we need to be as intercessors and as saints in these days. Amen? So, Father, bless this communion time. 
Bless your people as they come and help us, Lord, to serve you and to be your representatives in this time. We thank you for it, Father, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's come and receive. God bless you, ladies, as you lead us before the throne.